You're listening to A Generational Community by PJ Smythe, part of our A City on a Hill series. For more audio content and resources, please visit newfrontierschurch.com. My name's PJ. feel privileged to be able to preach this morning. If you're with us for the first time, uh, or you're exploring Christianity or exploring the church, um, I do trust you'll find this morning's message from the Bible useful to you. Uh, We're in a series at the moment about the church. Uh, The series is titled A City on a Hill. That's one of the um, metaphors that Jesus used for the church. So the church is a city. That means it's a community. Are you all all okay this morning? Say community. Yep. So the church is a community, and Jesus said it's a community or a city set on a hill. That means the church is is meant to get our attention. And it often works like that. You can go, go through life. So, so many of our stories is like this. You go through life, and the church doesn't get your attention. Christianity doesn't get your attention. And then something, or someone, or something you read, or some situation in your life, or a, or a friend, alerts you to the claims and teachings of Christ, and to this community of Christians, those who have Christ in them. It's a city set on a hill. And the Christian community, the church, is meant to be a community that obviously learns from other Christian commu- uh, other communities, communities of other religions, uh, communities of don't have a particular rig- uh, religion. Christians have got a lot to learn from others. But Jesus said, is also fundamentally, the Christian community is meant to attract people's attention and draw their gaze to Him. Jesus, who's king of our community. So that's why this series is called uh, A City Set on a Hill. And each week we're looking at a different aspect of the church. Honestly, we could be in this series for 10 years and not run out of things to say about the church. The community of God is that fantastic. This week, we're looking at how the church is a generational community. Not just a mono-generation, but a generational community. And we're reading from Titus uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 1. And the context is Paul is writing to Titus, who he has sent to the island of Crete to help strengthen some embryonic churches. So we've got lots of small churches around the island of Crete. And Paul says, Titus, can you go and strengthen them? And chapter 1 Paul instructs Titus mostly about elders or pastors. Chapter 2, it broadens and it's for everybody, and this is where we find ourselves now. Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, Titus, says Paul, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, Self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. That's older men. That's all. Just do those things. (laughs) Older women, likewise. That word likewise means older women also do the stuff like older men, and older men also do the things you say about older women as is appropriate. But older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good. 
Now, it doesn't continue on, on on the screen, but let me just read a few more uh, verses to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we've had, which generational groups have we had so far? Older, older men we started with, then we had older, there's lots of things for older men, lots of things for older women, I've just read about younger women, a whole load of things for younger women, and then it says, likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. If I had time, I would preach about the importance of all four generational groups. We're just going to go for older men and older women today, okay? Given Paul's metaphor of the church community as a body, remember I said there's lots of metaphors in Scripture for the church, a city on a hill, one of them is a body. Jesus is the head, and we're the body. We could think of Older men as the left arm, older women as the right arm, younger men as the left leg, and younger women as the right leg. All four limbs. In a local church, if we've got four out of four operating, the younger women are going for it, and the younger men are going for it, and the older men and the older women, if we've got all four limbs operating, we're going to move forward. If you've got three out of four, maybe one group thinks, oh, we're not actually needed. Then you're going to stand still as a church. Won't go forward, probably won't lose ground. If two generations go off the boil, as in the two genders in one of these generations, if two go off the boil, you're going to go backwards. You might think, surely this break even. If two are going for it and two aren't, at least we'll stand still. No way. Being the community of God in the world today requires all four generations to be game on if you're going to go forward. Three, you stand still. Two, you begin to go backwards. If only one of them is going for it, you're going to be dying. And then if none of them are going for it, you're already dead. There is no church. But you think about churches you know that have died, I'm telling you that was in play. All four. We need all four. All four limbs. So today we're just looking at older men and older women. So I've only got one shot at this in this series. So I figured, what should I go for? Should I go for the younger women? I mean, they are mission critical. Should I go for the younger men? Mission critical. And I figured, no, I'm going to go for older men and older women. Because younger women need to aspire to be older women. Younger men need to aspire to be older men. Older women are older women. Older men are older men. So if we go for these two, we hit everybody. Now, the question on all of our minds is, how old is older? <laughs> how old would you like older to be? <laughs> exactly. Older is always someone slightly beyond where, where I am. 
certainly it's relative, isn't it? I remember when I was 13 years old, I thought the seniors at my school, 18-year-olds, I thought they were older men. And 60-year-olds were just like an, a, different, a different category altogether. So it's relative. If you're 20 years old, you've got people five years you're younger. Honestly, they think of you as an older man. So it's relative. We're all older and we're all younger. A great friend of mine uh, is uh, in his 60s. He's 63 and he spent a week with Terry and Wendy Virgo. Terry is in his late 70s. And he said to me a few days ago, I loved being the young guy in the room. It's relative. The commentators say that life expectancy, and scholars say that life expectancy here in this age in Crete was probably 60. So most of them reckon older men he's referring, and older women referring to 40 upwards. So, so if you're comfortable revealing your age... Uh, if you are 39 or younger, stick up your hand, please. Great, we're going to go with 40 today, okay? <laughs> but the last thing to say is this is relevant to all of us because if you are 22, if you can dial into this today, you've got 18 years to get ready to be an older man who's on point when you hit 40, don't start thinking about the stuff when you're 40. You'll only get in the game when you're in your 60s. Okay, older men, older women. Are we ready? Let's go for, for women, ladies first. Uh, older women. The first thing Paul says to Titus to teach the older women is to be reverent. Reverence. The Greek, wor the Greek word for reverence is the word here propes. H-I-E-R-P-R-E-P-E-S. Nice sounding word. Hierprepes. It literally means be a priestess. Holy, consecrated. Now what's Paul doing here? Well, obviously, he's urging older women to behave in a holy and reverent, godly manner. It's like obvious. That's what it says on the tin. But something deeper is going on because he uses this word here, prepares, that's, that's a canon word. Canon. You know the expression, you don't need a canon to kill a fly. He uses a canon word. He could have used other words, meaning just more simply be reverent and dignified. But he pulls out a blooming bazooka word and he says, be here, prepares. They'd have gone, what? be priestesses. This was in a male-dominated society. He pulls out a beautiful, huge word because he doesn't just want to say, hey, older women, don't forget to live in a godly manner. He wants to mark you. He wants to mark them. He wants to put ink on them that you are a priestess. He's trying to, he's trying to mark them with worth. Worth. Understanding my English accent, okay. W O R T H. <laughs> He's trying to mark them with self worth because he knows that all four of these generational groups can struggle with self image, self worth, including older women. 
Now, I'm, a, I'm not an older woman, but I'm married to one. And I know some of you, and I know us. And I know that older women, we could be talking about self-worth in any of these groups, but we're talking about older women here. I know that it can be difficult getting older as a woman. When we're younger, our self-worth can kind of get more easily attached to what we do and how we look and maybe our relationships, maybe we've got kids, maybe a boyfriend, you've got a husband, and you kind of plug in your self-worth there. As you get older, some of these things we unplug from, either intentionally or just because stuff happens, and or they go stale. And we can be left, getting older as women, and men, I'm talking about women, we can be left feeling a little bit disoriented here about who am I and how do I fit in. And then we notice that fewer and fewer older women in Hollywood get leading roles. And it's just like this insidious thing. It's like we've passed our sell-by date. And let, let's just chip in from the periphery. But, you know, it's more of a man's world and it's a younger person's world. It just, I'm just marking time now. And I'm kind of superfluous to the advance of the kingdom of God. To which Paul says, here prepares. He says, you're talking crazy, girls. What Bible are you reading or not reading? Now, Paul's saying, you are mission critical to the community of God. You're actually mission critical to society. We're talking about the church here. You're mission critical to the church. You're priestesses of God, stateswoman of the church. You've got a role to play that no other group can play. You are the best prayers, fasters, carriers, and dispensers of the presence of God. You can encourage, correct, and be walking, talking testimonies of the faithfulness of God in a way that younger women can't, older men can't, younger men can't. We've got our own things to contribute, but we cannot contribute being you. Do not, Paul says, do not capitulate to the periphery, rather consecrate to the center of the church, this community on a hill. You've been there, done that, and got the stretch marks. You've got a story to tell that no one else can tell. We need you. And it's not like, oh, chip in if you can. It's, we need you. <laughs> Don't go off the boil. Get on the boil. Don't capitulate to the edge. Consecrate to the center. Having now given a big do, here prepares, he moves to a few don'ts for older women that flow from that do. So if you're that, then don't be slanderers. 
John Calvin, not PJ Smythe, repeat, John Calvin said, talkativeness is a disease of woman and it is increased by old age. Yeah, sort them out when you get to heaven, right? We do know that in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Slander is a catch-all bucket for any inappropriate or inaccurate speech about someone else. So it might be accurate, but it's not your place to say it. Slander. I was just telling the truth. Wrong way, wrong time, wrong tone, slander. Slander, catch-all bucket for inappropriate and inaccurate speech. It's almost always, in my experience, so I mean older men, we, we have to watch this as well. Remember the likewise, we're learning from each other here. In my experience, I get into slander when I'm feeling insecure. How about you? You see, slander is to, is to push someone else down. Why do we need to do that? Because somehow we figure it makes us feel a bit better. So what's the, why don't older women here prepares need to slander? It's because you're already priestesses. You're in Christ, you're loved. You've known Jesus for I don't know how many years. Some of you decades. You don't need to push anyone else down. You're in Jesus. You know him. Maybe you're an older woman and you've recently become a Christian. You're saying, I'm old, but I haven't known him for many years. Or you're an older woman, but you're close to becoming a Christian. Still, you can rock it through into maturity. Because you look back on a life without Jesus. And then you come into a life with Jesus. And the contrast will be so spectacular. You can, you can become a mature woman of the Lord in, in a very short space of time. If you read, read the word, plug into the community of God. You don't need to slander. You've got nothing to prove. Your self-worth is complete. Here prepares. Uh, then he says, don't be slaves to much wine. I mean, that's, that's for all generations, but it's a specific thing he's saying to the older women in Crete. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry, that's quite, quite a loud cough. It's always good to look for the root cause of things, of addictions or things that we, are, we get into a habit of doing. So it's good to look for the sin beneath the sin. You know, fruit, what's the root? It's just like you in my life, if I snip off the fruit, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop drinking too much. I do well for maybe a few hours or a few weeks or maybe a couple of years. This was just a hypothetical example. What's the root driving our behavior? Well, you tell me, why do we... Why do we get into drunkenness, too much wine, too much alcohol? What's the, what's the root cause usually? Can you think of one that's just a bit of a general one, but it's usually there for situations like this? Self-medication. 
loneliness? I think yes and yes. I, I would, the word I would put on it is escapism. So I need to escape my loneliness. I need to escape the way I think about myself. I need to escape the things that he did to me in the past. I need to escape my boring job. I need to escape my midlife crisis, the disappointments. I, so I need to something to take the edge off it. So now this this could we, it's fantasy relief. <coughs> Drugs can help with that. I was trying to show you I was snorting drugs there. I wasn't just sniffing because of my cold. <laughs> Substances, TV. I mean, there's watching Netflix, and then there's watching Netflix. And the former's fine. The latter is I need to escape my life. I'll, I'll escape into that story. Light, lightweight escapism, no problem. But when it's like I need to escape, it's a problem. Novels. There's reading novels and then there's reading novels, right? One's to escape, one's just light, you know, distraction, and one's just, I need to escape. <coughs> Overeating. We can escape into a relationship. There's one thing to have a relationship with her or him, it's another thing to, oh God, if I don't have you, I have nothing. It's, it's trouble when we get into that situation. And wonderfully, an older woman who knows Jesus doesn't need to go into these things. Because <laughs> your escape is in Jesus. Your satisfaction's in Him. You're drawing close to Him. Your daily drinking of His affirmation. Weekly hearing His affirmation. You don't need to escape into anything if you've got Jesus. Those things, drink, food, novels, Netflix, and so on, they can stay in their appropriate place as something good, not something ultimate, because we've got Jesus. He's ultimate. I don't need to put those things there. Netflix did not create you. Jesus did. He alone can satisfy your deepest longings. Here prepares. Is the, thank you so much. We will always be insecure, older women, older men, younger men, younger women, if we plug in our identity to essentially unstable things, instead of plugging into the ultimate stable one, the rock of ages, Jesus. So if your identity is plugged into your kids and their behavior, you're going to be terribly insecure because there's no telling what they're going to do tomorrow. Your husband's emotional. He doesn't matter how wonderful he is, he's going to go up and down. And if you're plugged into him fundamentally, you're going to go up and down with him. The political situation in America. Look at you, some of you. If you plug into that, up and down. You plug into the economy. I'm not surprised you're insecure. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? And when you get to retirement, if you're not already there, plug, plug into Jesus, the rock of ages, the one who promises to be your provision. 
don't need to escape if you're plugged into the rock of ages. And then he says, teach what is good. Older women, you are an indispensable commodity to teach, particularly, kind of makes logical sense, doesn't it? doesn't mean you only teach younger women, but you've got stuff to teach younger women that I could never. doesn't matter how much I studied. Older women, you must teach younger women. No one else is going to be able to teach them some of the stuff that you can teach. I can help out with some broad things. You do the specific things. You've gained invaluable experience and wisdom. And hopefully, I know it's tough for you, but hopefully you've made some painful mistakes in your life. If I'm a younger woman, I hope you've made some painful mistakes in your life. Because I want to learn from you. (laughs) And if I can learn from you and your mistakes, you'll save me a whole load of mistakes. Don't think you're disqualified if you've made lots of mistakes. You're just set more than ever before to help pass on some good stuff to the next generation. Few of you are called to teach through seminars. All of you are called to teach life on life, one on one. Now you need to work out how to do it your own way, take some advice from other older women who are killing it in this area. But this is what uh, my wife Ashley does. She makes friends with a younger woman, which really means saying, hi, my name's Ashley, what's your name? Then she says, would you like to have a cup of tea with me? Or a cocktail? Then when they're having the cocktail, Ash says, "Um, not just how are you doing, fine, thanks, how are you doing, fine. She says, give me one thing in your life that's bringing you most joy at the moment and one thing that's bringing you pain at the moment. And she doesn't like get out her notebook. It's just like conversational. And the person shares and Ash shares. It's not like patronizing, I will teach you how to be a younger woman. It's, hey, I'd love to help you, but here's who I am. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says he shared his life with them, not just doctrine. So she shares her life. She says, shares the best thing in her life, which could be that, and the most difficult thing in her life, which is often me. <laughs> and then she says, you know what, let's keep encouraging each other in the coming weeks. And then next time she sees them, she'll ask how it was, or text them, how did it go? Maybe they'll meet up a week later or a month later. Maybe they'll do it several times. Maybe it's just once. Start somewhere. It's, it's like falling off a log, it's so easy. You're just encouraging them. What are you struggling with? Yeah, me too. Here's, here's some advice, some tips for you. Let me introduce you to someone else. She's brilliant in this area. This isn't rocket science. Teach the younger woman. Teach what is good. There's a soothing serenity about older women in the church. It comes from years of abiding in Jesus or trying to abide in Jesus. And younger women, you want to do this like if you're 22, get doing this with 18-year-olds, right? But also, you can just grab an older woman. If they're not making a move on you, you go to them and say, so you know that stuff that PJ was saying? Let's have a cocktail together. Let's have a cup of tea together. Let's do that. Okay, older men. (coughs) 
Older men, firstly, sober-minded. Be sober-minded. This has a double meaning, a double entendre. It means not indulgent. So the opposite of sober is drunk, which means too much, indulgement, in al- indulging in alcohol. So an older man is not indulging, and not in, 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 in indulgent. I don't think this is specifically talking about <coughs> alcohol here, although other places it does. It means in life, he's sober-minded. His mind and disposition isn't, woo, off with the fairies. An older man has experimented over the years with what life has to offer. He's indulged his appetites. And a younger man says, maybe if I got that job, I will be satisfied. And he gets it and he realizes it doesn't fundamentally satisfy me. Maybe if I get the girl. Maybe if I live there, that's it. If I move away and live there, I will be satisfied. Maybe if I do that. I know what, getting super fit, becoming a triathlete. That's the missing thing in my life. And as you go through life as a younger man, you try, indulge. You just try stuff, indulge, appetite, appetite. And if you, and it's not just growing up, it's, it's not just growing old, it's growing up in the Lord. If you move through life as a younger man into becoming an older man in Jesus, you will pretty soon distill Filter out what's truly important and what is moderately important and what is not very important. And this is, the, this is what we can offer older men. We've figured it out. We've tried. We've bumped our heads. That doesn't satisfy. That doesn't. You know, Jesus, here I am, 40 years old. This would be the older man, younger man becoming an older man. I'm 47. Here I am, Lord, 40 years old. I've figured it out. Those are good things, but they're not ultimate things. They're helpful in some ways, but only you are life. And you figure out other stuff, that relationships are critically important. That the mission of God through the church is a priority. It's not something we just fit in around our oh-so-busy lives. We're the hope of the world. We're the city set on a hill. We need to have figured this stuff out by the time we're 40, brothers. At least by the time we're 40. Because then younger men can look at us, and they may be arrogant and think, well, those older guys don't know what they're talking about, but many of them aren't, and they'll watch and they'll see what we're prioritizing. And they can save themselves years of pain and gain years of effectiveness through watching our example. Sober-minded also means not emotionally intemperate. You know, if you're intemperate climate, it goes up and down, up and down. An equatorial climate, the, degree, the temperature's pretty much the same the whole year round. We, we, need to <laughs> we need to be like that. And the only way to be like that is to plug into Jesus. Increasingly plug into him. Winston Churchill, the great Second World Wartime Prime Minister, of England, he said of General Tudor, who was a First World War general, 1917, 1918, General Tudor halted a key German advance 
And Churchill, speaking of General Tudor, said, the impression I had of Tudor was of an iron peg hammered into frozen ground, immovable. Churchill said, you know, Tudor, he was like an iron peg hammered into frozen ground, immovable. Older men, we're to be like those iron pegs around which families, communities, society, the church can be safely tethered. We're not going anywhere, older men. Iron pegs in frozen ground. The next thing we're told to be is dignified. This is a great word. The Greek word for this is semnos. S-E-M-N-O-S. Semnos. Gentlemen, say the word semnos. I am semnos and I have come. It's a great word, isn't it? It's like you just want to be semnos hearing that word. Who are I am semnos. What are you like? I'm like semnos. It's wonderful. It means worthy of respect and serious. It doesn't mean boring, but it means gravitas. <laughs> and older men, we've figured out that stuff's weighty. It's weighty. We've, we've stood by the side of graves, burying loved ones. We've been in ICU, ICU units, ER units, more times than we want. We've watched our kids make poor decisions. We've watched ourselves make poor decisions. We've been betrayed. We haven't done well with others. There's a, there's a gravitas. We've been there, done that, and got, got semnos. And the younger generation respects us not just because of past victories, past battles. We need to be in current battles. I'm so interested that the younger men who I work with hardly ever ask me about my past and what I've, I've achieved. Sometimes I kind of wish they would more. But this generation, it's like they're interested in what's in front of them. And if I'm not currently fighting battles, it doesn't mean I have to be winning those battles. Victorious in every area, they see me fighting battles and they find me worthy of respect because of current battles I'm fighting. We need to stay in the game. Then he says we're to be self-controlled. I've got my eye on the clock. I'm just going to leave that one out. Wish I didn't have to. Sound in faith is the next one. It does a little treble here now. Sound in faith, sound in this, sound in that. <laughs> sound in faith. The word sound is the same word that's used in the Gospels for when Jesus healed people, he healed him and made him sound in body. So sound in faith means a whole faith. <laughs> Not a perfect faith, but a whole faith. And older men, this will go for older women as well, we have walked such a journey that we can look back over our shoulder and we can sing that Matt, Matt Redman song in a way that younger men and women can't, Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. 
Never once did you leave us on our own. God, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. So hands up, older men and older women. This is 40 plus. Put your hands up. If you just look back and say, yeah, it hasn't been easy, but God has actually never let me down. Okay, keep your hands up. Don't put them down. If you get arthritis, put your other hand up and put it down. Okay, keep them up. Younger men and women, look around. Don't look at me, look around. Go on, don't just glance, look. These hands in the air are saying powerful things to us. We're not trying to trick you. We promise you. Although it hasn't all been easy, God has never, ever let us down. And you will have your moment in a meeting like this when your hand will go up. And you'll also say, God never let me down. I didn't understand it all, but he never let me down. Hands down. Thank you. We, older men and older women, are the credibility of a church. We can sometimes be a bit patronizing of younger, not yet Christians, and we can think to ourselves, you know what will make them be impressed with Christianity? Lots of cool young people in the church. Not true. Really, we're better students of human behavior than that, aren't we? Younger and older, people who are exploring Christianity, really exploring Christianity, they might, you know, listen and look and think, Flip, that's quite cool. And really, there's no merit in a church not trying to be moved with the culture, right? But fundamentally, they're going to look around and see some gray heads and some no-haired heads. And they're going to figure it out. My goodness, there's some people here who've been in this Christian thing for decades, and they're still in it. And then they've got a choice. They either write you off as a bunch of whack wackos, or they say, I don't know if I can argue with a couple of hundred men and women been there, done that with Christianity, and they're still in the fight. Surely, if this whole thing was an illusion, there wouldn't be so many of these older people in this church. Badge of credibility. One of the previous churches I led, it was a guy called uh, Vernon. Flippy's a beast, man. He's like a one-man unit. He, um, um, he, he's just, like, imagine Harley Davidson but I'm 75, and you've, I've done stuff in life. Just, beard, ink, he's, and he walks with a limp. <laughs> this is Vernon. And he, he walks with a limp because he came, came off his bike with his wife, and they got a huge insurance payout. And now that it's, He's just such a dude. And he loves Jesus, and he walks around like this. And he's got a voice that you just can't believe. It's, man, it's like rolling thunder. Anyway, he would often come forward during the time of singing and he would kind of limp to the front. And whoever was hosting the meeting, you know, very often we listen to what someone's got to say just to check it's not crazy, you know. When he comes, <coughs> just give him the mic. <laughs> and he just nailed it every time. He'd come to the front, he'd get the mic, and he'd, he'd usually be crying. He's a tough but tender guy, 75 years old, just all dude. And he would talk for about 15 seconds. And he would almost always say just something simple like this. I want you to know that it's all true. 
God loves you. God wants you. He'll never let you down, y'all. And then he would just stop. It's like no good ending. Just <laughs> hand back the mic and off, off goes Semnos. It's just like he was walking Semnos. And then off and after him, a young guy would have <laughs> the tough job of preaching about the love of God and the faithfulness of God. I'm telling you, we could have ended the meeting after Semnos. Vernon had done his thing. This is a poor young guy who spends 40 minutes it's like comparative. God loves you. God's faithful. He really is. I promise you. And it's just like, listen to Vernon. He said it all in 15 seconds. There's things that the older generation can say and declare in meetings and one-on-one. Yet the young guys just doesn't pack the punch when you speak. It's like rolling thunder. Stutter, if you like. Have a croaky voice because you're frail. It's like rolling thunder. And he says, be sound in love. Older men, mobilize your thumbs to text messages of love. Emails and hug and squeeze and punch on the arm. I'm telling you, you can, you can communicate more as an older man with just one punch on the arm and a towel of his hair than a whole long sermon can. Be sound and lo- love your wives. If you're married, love her. Love her more as she gets older. Agatha Christie, <coughs> remember the crime, late Agatha Christie, the crime writer? She said, I'm so glad I married an archaeologist. The older I get, <laughs> the more he loves me. <laughs> Let's be like, Mr. Christie. And one more, sound and steadfastness. (coughs) Older men, strong to the end. As we get older, our bodies get softer, but our resolve gets harder. Strong to the end. I'm going to risk a cricket analogy on you. you. Can you cope with cricket? Cricket's like baseball, but... So, in baseball, you've just got the backstop. In cricket, the bowler, the pitcher, the bowler, is trying to hit the wickets, which are three sticks like this pulpit here. And when you get to 100 runs in cricket, it's an awful lot. You've been batting for about two hours, and you're seeing the ball as big as a beach ball because you're just so dialed in. And the most famous batsman of all time was an Australian called Don Bradman. He averaged nearly 100 runs every time he went out to bat over his career. He's an outstanding batsman. And he would do something that annoyed the opposition so much. Every time that he got to 100, which was most times he went out to bat, when he got to 100, the crowd would clap him, and he would take a little break, and then he would ask the umpire. Um, He'd put his bat like this, and he would say, Center, please, which means, can you just tell me my bat is centered with the wickets? He, he wanted to stand exactly in front of his wickets to protect them, right? Because you've got to stop the ball hitting the wickets. But I played cricket for years. You, when you come into bat, you ask the umpire, center, please. You say, oh, okay, I know I'm standing right in front of the wickets. I don't need to worry. I can just look at the ball. I'm protected. Because otherwise, you can leave it and dink. You don't know where your wickets are. 
you don't need to ask the umpire that when you get to 100, because you know exactly where the work You've been in for two and a half hours. Your foot marks and your bat mark, you know cricketers do this. There's a whole hole in the ground where you've been putting, you don't need to ask where your wickets are. He, he, but he figured, I don't want to get out now. I've been batting for two and a half hours. I don't want to throw my wicket away. I want to finish strong. So he checks the umpire, just tell me again. Where should I stand? I feel God wants to say to a few older men here today, you've batted so well. Take your guard again. There's more to do. Don't throw it away. Don't, don't go there with her, with that. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Finish strong. Stay the course. Now, our time is gone. But last thing for older men in terms of sound and steadfastness, we need to steadfastly pass the baton to the next generation. And younger generation, I just want to say to you on behalf of the older generation, stylistic things in church, have them your way. Music louder, music quieter, this, that, whatever. I can worship Jesus whether the music's loud or soft, whether the lights are up, the lights are down. I'm Semnos. I know him. I can worship him with Arabic songs, hymns. I, I, I don't care. Have it all your way, whatever helps you worship Jesus, I'm Semnos. You can put me in a room that doesn't feel very good to me with songs I don't know. I've known Jesus for long enough, I'm going to worship him with whatever. Just want you to know that. You rise up and keep taking the baton. Amen.